I feel today that the Lord really has laid something on my heart. And um, this is the last normal Sunday of the year. Um, if you look at it that way next week, we got, we're going to do a little holiday fun. And then the following week, most of us will be in Santa mode because the 22nd is close enough. And then the week between Christmas and New Year's is always a zoned out week. And then we move into January Last night, the bishop was um, was ministering, and he read a scripture, mentioned a scripture, and I preached on it not too long ago. I tried to look at my notes to remember where it was, but somehow I'd, I'd gotten the dates changed on the notes, so I can't exactly remember when it was. But the Lord brought me back to it, and I got to looking at it again. I pulled my notes back up and got to looking at it again, and then the Lord began to speak to me about it more and more in a different direction than when the first time I ministered to it, ministered it probably six, nine months ago, somewhere in that range. If you're a parent in here today, one of the hardest things of being a parent is to see your humanity in your children. One of the hardest things is when you're correcting your child over something you know you do. When you're telling them, you know, you can't do that, you can't do this, and really what you know what you're really doing is, you can't do it, but I do it, and I don't need to do it, and I'm not trying to get you to do it. And There's this hard thing to, to really look at. My, my, I, I am, I'm doubly blessed because really two of my children are more like me than they are my wife. And so I get to see a lot of my, my humanity and frailties in two of my children, and a lot of things that... Uh, sometimes drive me crazy. I can't really be mad at them because it's the same stuff that I do. And so it's a very humbling thing to see in your children the humanity that you really see in yourself. I've never read the book, but I know it's a very famous line. Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities starts off with the idea it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Which... We, we kind of look at sometimes our life on a scale of good and bad. We look at our life on the scale of how much good is going on in our life and how much bad is going on in our life. And, and one of the things I see in my children that, that I see in myself, I don't know if you call it curiosity, character flaw, whatever it is, because I know I've said it before and others have said it. You know, if you really know God, you don't ask the question why, right? If you really trust Him, you stop asking the question why and you, and you put it into his hands. And, and, and that's very difficult for me because I'm a why person. I know some of you aren't. Some of the people in here, just, you never ask the why. I pray that you would pray for people like me that God would help us because I'm a very much a why person. And I, and, and, and I can't really, I, I've, I've prayed and, and given it to God, but, but my son and my oldest daughter, they're why people. You can't just say, go do this, because their attitude back to you is, why? And then we say, because I said so. But why? Because I'm your father, but why? And so one of the things we're trying to tell, you know, my wife says it all the time. She'll say to him, listen, I don't have to give you a reason, because in life you're not always going to get a reason why you do things. How many of you tomorrow morning, you're going to go to work and your boss is going to say, do this. Are you going to say, why? You're going to say, okay. Okay. Right? So you ask why, and, 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 and I get it from, a, from the big philosophical why, but there's another part of this that, that, that really has been a great blessing to me. You know, it's one of those things where in everything in our life, there's a benefit and a blessing. There, there's things about you that you may not like, but God uses those things as a benefit and sometimes as a curse. You know, sometimes, and I don't mean this, there's some of you that you're just fired up and feisty. You're naturally like that. You're not laid back. You're not chill. You're, 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 you're fired up. You're a feisty person. And that may be a negative because you've got to really rely on God's grace to control your temper and control your, your emotions. But on the other hand, you're like a bulldog in the spirit because you want, you're ready to go. You, you're ready. You, you, you'll, you'll go to any challenge because that's who you are. That's a blessing and a curse. 
And so this why thing to me is sort of a blessing and a curse. But the blessing part about it is, is that I, I, when I start to do things that I just get into a rut, I, I really start to peel back and say, why do we do these things that we do? Example, I'll give you another silly, a silly one, but it's huge. Why do I come here every Sunday morning? Why? If I'm not careful, it's a really easy trap to fall into where I just kind of get up and I just show up and I go through the motions. But ever stop, why do I show up here? Now, I know some of you don't think that way. You're just, well, it's, it's, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to gather together, so I'm going to be there. I'm going to come and worship. Great, God bless you. But for someone like me, why? I remember... We, this was about three years ago now, uh, beginning of 2017, about that, when my wife, when, 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 before we started the, the small groups and all of this that God's done. And I, and I, and please take this within context. Every time I try to give one of the examples, people always mushroom it as I'm shooting darts at others. I'm simply talking about Antioch West and what God laid on me. This has nothing to do with any other church outside of these walls. Please just get that, okay? Lord, that wasn't Jesus, that's humanity, okay? That's just my plea. But I was sitting there in 2017, I remember, I remember, I wasn't quite like the bishop, I can't give you the exact date. I was sitting at the end of my kitchen table, it was a Sunday afternoon. And we were doing that was we were doing Sunday morning, Sunday night, like we had done for 46 years. And I'd say that was wrong. I'm not pull it back in. And so I'm sitting there, and my wife, she had taken over worship. Um, and, and and she came down and she said, yeah. We had a really powerful move of God Sunday morning. God had moved. And we were living on that high, and it was Sunday afternoon, and she came down, and she said, you know, I'm really struggling. I don't, I don't feel anything for tonight. And I said, I don't feel anything for tonight at all. And I said to her, I said, you know, the biggest struggle I have is, what are we coming back tonight to accomplish? I know that's sacrilegious to ask that. Forgive me for... For that for a moment. I told you you need to pray for me. So I said, why are we coming back tonight? After what God did this morning, after lives being changed, God doing all this, we're going to show back up tonight. And you know, Sunday night, that's when you really ramp it up, right? That's what the, the typical culture of church has become. Sunday morning, you know, you can start off Sunday morning with amazing grace, how sweet. The sound. Because people are kind of tired, right? You don't want to scare them. They just need to. So that's what. But Sunday night, I mean, Sunday night, you've got to come in and you've got to hit it hard. And live it. He left me. Die. And he say, I mean, that's what is expected. I mean, Sunday morning, you can, you, you know, it's evangelistic. You're supposed to talk about it. But Sunday night, I mean, you've got to get down and dirty and you've got to get sweaty and grungy and just deliver the power of the word. I got to be honest with you. That's exhausting. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, what are we doing? And I begin to ask God and I begin to go, okay, God, for Antioch West, Antioch West. Everybody say Antioch West. Not any other entities of wherever. Just Antioch West. I ask God, what what are we doing? What are you trying to do? Because I don't feel like going through the emotion and going through the, the energy expenditure just to do something because, well, we've always done it. And so that's when I really, in the beginning of 2017, I started going to the Word of God going, okay, where's Sunday night in the Bible? I'm trying to find it in here. Where's Sunday? And I'm not saying Sunday night's wrong. I, again, context. If you're watching today, context. I have to say this because... There's a lot of stuff that gets taken out of context. So I got to asking God, what are we doing here? And then God began to deal with me about some things. And then we started down this road. And next thing you know, we do small groups in the afternoons. And this is what God has brought us to. And this is where God's taking us. So I said all that to say, 
there's this inquisitive nature that I have that is a negative and a positive. And the inquisitive nature is, is that I really just, I study, some study by sort of, you know, you, you get that daily scripture, or you just, you're a, a reader of content, you just read the Bible and something sticks out. I study by asking questions. That's how I've always studied. I don't know why. I, 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 I want to know, why is this? Why does, what is this? What? And so I go digging through the word of God to find the answer. And so there's, a, there's several things here I want to read to you, scriptures, and then we're going to piece them all together through the help of the Lord and put them all together here. And that was just a quick foundation. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse number 5. Deuteronomy 12, verse number 5 says this, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. You shall seek the place where your Lord God chooses. Out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you shall go. There you shall make, take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Boy, there are so much stuff right there. Burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithe, heave offerings, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings. There's so much depth in that, but we're not going there today. Then skip with me if you can. Uh, who's ever on the computer can help us out. Second Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 18. Now get this, right? God said, I'm going to choose a place. God's going to choose a place. Actually, you know what? Don't go to, uh, sorry, who's ever on the computer, forgive me. Go first to Psalms 132. Psalms 132. Let's read verse 1 together. I don't have all of these. We're going to go to verse 5. We'll start in verse 1. Jehovah, remember for David all his affliction. Verse 2. How he swore Unto Jehovah, and he vowed unto the mighty one of Jacob. Verse 3. Surely I will not come into this tabernacle of my house, nor go up to my bed. Verse 4. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to mine eyes. And this is the kicker. Verse 5. Until I find out a place for Jehovah. So we have this idea in Deuteronomy 12 that God is going to choose a place. And David has this desire to find a place. But here's the, here's the final one in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse number 18. And the New King James reads this. And it came that day that David said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David according to the word of God, went up as the Lord commanded. Now that doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but there is a massive implication into that little sentence right there. And that's what I want to talk to you for just a few moments about, is the fact that God chose a place for David to build an altar. For David to build a place of altar and sacrifice. He chose it. To be on a threshing floor. Now we're going to take a step back further and look at something. As This is where I preached on this, taught on this a while back. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 verse 24 says this. And another parable he went forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he slept, his enemy, everybody say the enemy. The enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So his servants, so the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No. Lest while you gather up the tares, you'll also uproot the wheat with them. Then the most, one of the, one of the most amazing parts of scripture is verse 30. It says, let both grow 
together. Everybody say that with me. Let both grow together. But here's the point of this whole deal. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the, together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then verse 36 is just kind of ironic to me. Verse 36 says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, and the disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. This is not where we're going today, but I love that because is that not human nature? What was in the field? More good seed than bad seed. There was more good in their bad, but when the disciples want to know the answer, they said, tell us about the bad stuff. Isn't that us, right? I, I read this story. In fact, I remember telling it when I, when I taught this. I, I, heard, I heard this story from, from a pastor friend of mine. There was a, a lady in, in, the, in his town. It was a town in the south, and you know, in the south, everybody knows everybody type thing. And so somehow they had gotten connected with this lady. She wasn't a believer. She never went to church. She had never been saved. She had nothing to do with God, but somehow... The, the, her son had died, and they had asked that some, somehow a f- friend of the family had had mentioned it, and so the the the, the pastor uh, went over to the house just to be a just to 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 to, to just share and trying to comfort this family. And so he went over to the house and he walks in and, and the old family's there and they're broken up. They lost their, their son and, and all of that. And, and um, he, he, the family was all gathered together. And, and this is the South, right? This is the Bible. Belt. You think this would be acceptable. But he asked, he said, would you mind if I, if I prayed for all of you? Just said a simple prayer. And, and, and he bowed his head. And all of a sudden, the mother came out of nowhere. No! Nobody's going to pray in this house. Nobody's going to pray to God that would take my child. And he was just sort of taken aback by that. And so he, um, he left, walked away, and he, he said he, he got to thinking. That's probably the first time that woman's thought about God in a long time. Where was God, the mention of God, when her son was healthy, was a baby boy, grew up, was healthy. Where was this God? You've given me this son. I thank you for that. But as soon as something negative happened, God got all the blame. Isn't that our world today? We get all the credit and God gets all the blame. If everything's going good in your life today, you're doing good. But the moment something goes wrong, what's the first thing you want to know? God, what are you doing in my life? Well, it gets thick and heavy quick. You just start talking like that, it gets thick. It's amazing to me that we want to know to God, why are you letting all this bad? But if it's good, you know, we're just, we deserve it. We deserve it. And so it's amazing to me the disciples said, what about the story of the tares? But that's, that's, that's a rabbit trail. To backtrack on. There's some things interesting about this parable. I, I went into depth of it. And I'm not going to go into depth of it today because I want to take it into a different direction. The first thing that's amazing about this parable is, is that who sowed the, the tares? The enemy. It was an enemy. We all in this place today have an enemy to our soul. If you, it's amazing how the adversary Satan has infiltrated the the church world and we don't like to talk about it anymore. We kind of tiptoe around it. We like to talk about, we don't, you can't say, you can't say that word. You can't say those, the devil or Satan, because you'll freak people out. Seriously. But you can't go by a movie theater without seeing some kind of freaky, demonic, I mean, my goodness, I walk down the mall with my children going, look down, look down. No one look anywhere. Don't look because I know if they see the poster, we're going to have visitors in our bed in the middle of the night. (laughs) Isn't it amazing to me how much, unless you're living under a rock, you haven't noticed it, how much our world is fascinated by horror? 
Not stuff where it's like suspense, you know, boo. I'm talking about demonic things where, 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 where dolls are infested by spirits and there's stuff happening and we eat it up and God forbid Holy Ghost filled people want to fellowship with that mess. It would be sad that you even have to mention that. And what's amazing, notice this, and this is another rabbit trail. I'm just rabbit trailing everything today. This might end up being a three-part message. But it's amazing to me, our world right now, one of the chronic things our world is dealing with is anxiety and fear. People are covered with anxiety and fear. People can't even leave their house because they're so... I was, we were talking to Sister Whittington not so long ago. We were shooting the breeze and, and, and I'll be trying to be discreet, but there was an acquaintance she knew of that, that this person can't even leave their house to go to the store to get groceries because they have so much anxiety. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. I'm not making fun of that. I'm simply saying our world is feeding us fear and we're eating it and we're wondering why we're all afraid. Come on, back in the 70s, Jaws was considered a scary movie. Now Jaws like, Jaws, really? A mechanical shark, really? Come on. It's not even scary anymore. But I mean, you got all this stuff now where it's one after another and you go to the movie theater and probably at least half the movies have some kind of demonic tone to it and we're being inundated by this and inundated by it and inundated by it and inundated by it. But the church world, we just we can't say that. You can't say Satan. You can't say the devil because people are going to get freaked out when you start talking about that because you know, we, we can't talk about spirits in, in the church because people can't handle that. And we got spirits flying all around us and we got spirits on on every poster and billboard and they in the world can talk about it but the church can't talk about it. can i tell you something the devil's real the demonic powers that are fighting the church are real they're not made up it's not a fairy tale it's not some harry potter mystery it's real but the blood of jesus and the name that's above every name gives you and i the power We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's real. It's real. And if the church is just going to hibernate and put our head in the sand and pretend it's not because we don't want to offend the world, guess what? The world is running circles around us. Who else to stand up and say, uh, to say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? So the enemy sowed the tear. Who? The enemy. You've got an enemy today. If you think you have, you've got, you're the one, you know, can I be honest with you? You haven't figured this out like you think. We're so brilliant to think that we've somehow come up with the hack to, of all hacks. Can I be honest with you? After 6,000 years of human history on this earth with the devil's wreaked havoc, you haven't been the first one to crack the code. And if you think somehow you've got a, tree, a, a peace treaty with, this, with the adversary, I won't mess with you if you won't mess with me. Unfortunately, honey, when you went down in that water and you got the name of Jesus called on you, you became a target whether or not you wanted it or not. And unfortunately, you can't go back and unbaptize yourself. So you had to get cracking because you got to realize now you've been called by the name that's above every name It's truth unless, you know, it's still truth. So I know some of you think you got this deal worked out, right? You know, I'm not going to mess with you. You're not going to mess with me. We're going to be chill about it. You are a fool. Because you know what? Here's the thing. The greatest weapon that the adversary has in our life is subtleness. Deception. Come on, right now, if, if, if the devil showed up here, and, and just in case you're wondering, he doesn't look like this. But if he showed up here in his little pointy horns and his pitchfork with his little red tail wagon, and he stood in front of you, and everyone would be like, that's it, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, we'd have people on the floor flipping out. No, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Some of you haven't spoken in tongues in six months. You'd be like, 
We'd be dancing holy water on us. Oh, because we got it. He's here. We got to do something about it. But the crazy thing about it is every day you get up, he's still there. But you don't even realize it. Because he's so subtle. He's crafty. He just eases in here. He throws a little bit there. He throws a little bit there. He throws some stuff there. And, you know, we're just going along going, oh, it's just stuff. You know, it's not a big deal. It's just, you know, it's not. A, he's just reeling it in, reeling it in, reeling it in, reeling it in. Reeling it in. And so guess what? We're so naive that the world is just feeding us with all this stuff. We don't even realize it. I'm here today. I'm not on some kind of campaign against Hollywood and all that jazz. I'm not. I watch movies. I watch TVs. I, I'm, I'm not against that. It's not what I'm. Don't don't jump to a conclusion that oh here he goes. He's going to get on a soapbox against my movies and my TV shows. That's between you and Jesus. I'm not going to sit there and watch what you watch every day and say that's good, that's bad. If you don't have a Holy Ghost meter in you that says mm, I don't think this is something I should be sitting down and watching, then you need more of Jesus than I can give you. If you think that we're going to hand out a list when you leave here, here's all the movies you should watch, and here's all the movies you shouldn't watch. Here's all the TV shows that are acceptable for us as believers to watch. You are retarded. Excuse me. That's, forgive me for saying that. You are, you, are, you are in need of help. Apologize. That's a bad habit. I mean that sincerely. Sorry. That's a bad habit from years ago. So I apologize. I... I I have, I, have, I have inadvertently hurt people by saying it that way, and I apologize for using that, that word. You're in need of Jesus. Because ultimately, can I be honest with you? If you seriously think you can sit down and ingest everything this world has to offer and it not affect you, we blame, oh, how, did, how could Eve... Be so foolish to get that fruit from that serpent. (laughs) He's still doing it today. And we're just eating apples like making applesauce. We don't even care. We're just eating it. Who sowed the tares? The adversaries. Who's sowing tares in your life? Today, adversary. You've got character issues, you've got stuff going on. Yeah, all that. But the enemy is sowing seeds in your life today. Right now, that really, he's sowing it in your life today. But do you know what he said? Who sowed the tares? The enemy. So they come to him and say, we got a problem. Didn't you sow good seed? Yeah. Where's the bad coming from? The enemy. Then they did what we all expected to be the logical answer to the whole thing, and that was this. Should we take them out? Isn't that our first reaction, everything that goes bad in our life? I know that's my first reaction. I, I said it last week. By nature, I'm a fixer. That's what I do. I'm, an, I'm a fixer. That's a great thing and a very bad thing because sometimes I fix what God tells me not to mess with. And there were the fixers. We got to do something with all this stuff that's growing in the field. And, and he says to them, wait a minute. Don't let them grow together. How many of you prayed for something you thought was a tear in your life and God said, mm, not messing with God, i got to get this out of my life. I can't go through this anymore. I've had enough. Get this tear out of my life and nothing. Let them grow together. Because he said this. He said, if you mess with the tear, you might destroy the wheat. Because there's some tears that look like wheat and there's some wheat that look like tears. And sometimes if you just start yanking, you might inadvertently pull out something that has value thinking it has no value. How many things in your life you thought at the time had no value that was a tear that in the end came out like beautiful wheat in your life? He said, let them grow together. Now here's the point. And I kind of stopped here last time. Last time was sort of the 
the, the prequel. Because really what we talked about last time is there's some things in our life that God allows to grow together. There's things in our life that God lets stay in there. They grow together because there's value in our life. But there's some other things in there and the enemy's put in there. But God, in, in His desire to keep the good stuff growing, He doesn't just come wreaking havoc in our life. Because yes, are there things about you and I that need to change? Yes. But there's sometimes God leaves it like that because His purpose is greater. And we kind of left it at this. But here's the kicker. And when Bishop Wright read this last night, these words just sort of went off the, off my, off my phone as I read the scripture along when he was reading is this, is that later on it says, it says, let them grow together. Let's go back in, in Matthew 13, verse 30. Matthew 13, verse 30. This is where we stopped last time. And last time we stopped with, let them both grow together. Until, that's where the word, until the harvest jumped out. Wait a minute. He's not saying, I'm going to leave the bad and good in you forever because I'm cool with leaving junk in you. I'm going to leave it until the time comes of the harvest and I'm going to take it out together. Now, I know there's a lot of people that have interpreted this scripture, and there's some interpretation you could use this, talking about the rapture and, and, and the church and on the judgment and tearing and, and the wheat and chaff. I get all that, but let's, let's take that context out of it. Let's just talk about you and I today for a moment. Brother Trombley, uh, a while back, him and I were talking, and we were discussing things. This was several years ago. Him and I would, would get together, and he, we would bounce things off, and he'd be studying something, and he'd share it with me, and and and... He'd get me stirred up, and I'd, and I'd dig through some stuff, and I'd share it. We, he would, so he'd go back and forth. And, and, and I don't know how many years ago he, he studied this, but it's been a while we discussed this, and I've talked about it several times. Western thinking. Western thinking is a very linear thinking. We've talked about this before. Westerners, we think very linearly. So point A to point B, let's walk in a straight line. That's how we think. And unfortunately, we take that same mentality in with God. Right? I'm here and I'm going to pass this test. I'm going on to this test and I'm going to, and I'm progressing. And, and it's very hard for us sometimes to grasp the why when we feel like we're repeating things that we've already been through. You've been living for God for more than about probably a year. There are some things you'll find that start repeating very often. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought I dealt with this. You know, you have a moment where you feel like God heals you. Thank you for healing me. Oh, I feel so whole. And then two years down the road, some stuff starts bubbling back up in you. You're like, I thought I was healed. No, you got that layer healed. Now it's time for the next layer to heal. And then you kind of get, you deal with one offense. You're like, I'm not offended with anybody. I've forgiven everybody. And then like three years later, God starts bringing some stuff up and you have to forgive another layer. You know, you get, you have these things. And so it's very hard for us when we think linearly to ever accept the fact what God's doing because we're always feeling like I'm never making progress. And I ask everybody in this room right now, do you feel like you're where you are supposed to be in God? Most of us say, I'm not even close to where I thought I would be in God. You know, when you come to God and you get, you, 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 you get in a relationship with Him, you have visions of grandeur that, you know, 10 years down the road, I'm going to be walking with angels. On a daily basis. I'm going to be eating my food and just the aura of His Shekinah glory. And then 10 years down the road, you're walking with God and you just look in the mirror every once in a while and you just get nauseous at the looking of this human back at you with so much frailty and so much stuff junk in you. And you go, see, I'm not where God wanted me to be in 10 years. And you know what? You're exactly where God wanted you to be in 10 years. Because almost most of us in here today feel like failures because we thought by now we would be past this or past that. Or we would learn this before. We would be better at this. We would be able to do this. I mean, why are we walking in, why are we walking in hospitals waving our hand and people are getting out of the beds? Come on, by now. I mean, I'm, I've been living for God for, I've had the Holy Ghost now for 34 years. I should be able to walk in the hospitals and the cancer ward and just go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And people are like, oh, heal. It fell off. Woo. And people just following behind me going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then just shutting down Anne Arundel, shutting down Baltimore, Washington, shutting down Johns Hopkins because the healer is in the house. 
I thought that would kind of be. And then at 34 years of living for God and living with the Spirit of God in me, I'm looking at some stuff going, really, this stuff has been in me for that long? What are you doing? Why have you let this stuff grow with the wheat this long? Because I'm linear thinking. But Brother Tromley was talking about, and he shared this with you, and maybe one day to get a chance to really teach it again in depth. But biblical thinking, especially Hebraic thinking, is, is very circular. And not necessarily just going around and around, but it's, if you look at it as a coil, every time you go around, you're kind of getting into a higher position. And, and biblically, the, the biblical world, even through, in, in through the time of Jesus, the biblical world was shaped by the agricultural calendar. Agriculture was everything. You couldn't eat, you couldn't survive. Armies and kingdoms were built on the power of agriculture. If you couldn't feed an army, you could not conquer. And so agriculture was it. And, and even, is it safe to say, Brother Trombley, to make sure I'm saying this uh, uh, correctly, it's safe to say that the feasts of the Old Testament, if you look at the feasts of the Old Testament, they were really built around the agriculture calendar. That's why if you look at the feasts, there's no summertime feasts. Now, here's the problem. We don't think this way anymore because how do we think? This is the way we think about our year, right? We're excited. November and December is a fun time of year. I'm, I'm not trying to bore you. I'm trying to get to the point, so bear with me. November and December is fun, right? Because in November, you're starting to gear up. You know, it's exciting. You're getting ready for Thanksgiving. You've got your plans, and you're fired up, excited. You know, get, we're going to have this. We're going to have this person come over. We're going to go here for Thanksgiving. And then you leave Thanksgiving and Christmas and Christmas and all that. But... To me, I'm just speaking to me, January and February stink. Because you come out of Christmas, you're excited, you know, your belly's full, you're, you've eaten way too much, and then you're dealing with the aftermath of a big credit card bill and a belt that doesn't fit quite the way it did in the beginning. And you have to look at January, February, and it's cold, it's gray. About the only thing that I like about January and February for me is the few... Not very often anymore, thanks to Al Gore and global warming. But as much, we don't get as much snow. But I still love snow. But we don't get snow as much anymore. And, and so January, February, just brutal. And then March comes along and you start to get a glimmer of there's hope. But then the rains come and it's just raining and it's cold rain and it's depressing rain and it's cold. And, 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 and you know, but, but for us, I mean, even those of you that don't have kids in school anymore, summertime is our time. Right? Because summertime's vacation, summertime's the time to relax, chill, go to the beach, fight the traffic, whatever you're doing. I mean, summertime. And so our world, when we think of our year, we think of January's a reset, summer's our time to have fun. We gear up in the fall for the holidays to repeat it all again. But biblically, in a biblical calendar, summertime was a dead time. Because that was when the field was being burned up by the sun and, 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 and you were doing some work, but the, you, 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 you were preparing and there was things going on. And so the, the, the spring and the fall were the times of harvest and planting and sowing and all this. And, and the, so their mentality was different. I say all that to say that when, when they talked about the tares and the wheat growing together, they weren't just thinking of, oh, get rid of the good, out with the bad. There's a whole understanding they had. And that's what the part I really want to get to for the next few minutes here. I know we've been going for a few minutes. Don't worry, it's still early. This is the last time you'll get to hear me at this length for the rest of the year. And so I was reading through this again, and, then, and, and last night when Bishop, he said, let the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. God is not saying he's cool with the junk in your life. So let's get that straight. We've got a little bit of an attitude that started creeping up in here because we've dealt with some things and we've tried to change the narrative. But there's also a little bit of attitude as God's cool with my mess. You know, we're in the West. We don't really live that way anymore. We can do whatever we want and God's okay with it. That's not what we've been preaching. In case you're wondering. I'm not saying God's cool with your mess. But God's the one that is going to be in control of your mess. 
Because every year there was a time of sowing. Every year there was a time of plowing. And every year there was a harvest. Except we want to go real deep into it. The year of Jubilee, the seventh year, their seventh year, the, the, the ground rested. I get all that. I know some of you are thinking, well, they didn't do it on the seventh year. I get it. Let's just talk about a normal year. So what does that mean? Every year, God is going to bring about a harvest in your life. What does a harvest do? A harvest takes all of that good and the bad with it. But then what happens? And that's the real key. Here's the problem. And the problem is we don't all experience the harvest. Now, I know the biblical calendar was very much synchronized, but we're all different people. Your time and my time, what I'm going through, what you're going through, it's the beauty about a body is we're all in different stages in this body at all different times. We're not all doing this. You have some people in here, you're having the time of your life. There's others of you, you are counting down till we can just get through the day. It happens. We have people here on the mountaintop, man. You're just, you just think everything in life is just the mightest touch. And every, there are people in here that just, is it ever going to end? Am I right? I saw you over there going, mm-hmm. is it ever going to stop? And so if, if we're really all in the same boat, then we really can't provide strength to one another. That's the beauty about being in a body, is that really we're a family. We're supposed to provide strength. When you're down, I'm supposed to, and I'm up, instead of me going, mm-hmm, yeah, I got it all together. You better just figure it out. My idea is in a body is I can give you strength. Because there's coming a day. There is coming a day. There is coming a day when I'm going to be on my valley, and she's going to be in her mountain, and if I didn't pour into her, she's not going to pour into me. I always love people that want to receive love, but the church don't have any love. The church doesn't love like it used to. And they're someone that never loved. No one ever shakes my hand anymore. Nobody ever tells me when I'm missing. You didn't do it either. You didn't do it either. It's amazing how people want something in return that you didn't even give. Well, I'm, I, I don't know what I had for breakfast today. I don't need to have it again. Dear Lord, help me. I had a Pop-Tart today. I'm never having a Pop-Tart again. That strawberry Pop-Tart was laced with something, I think it was. I need to check the package again and see if it was opened up. Whatever I had today, I don't need to have again. Lord Jesus, I'm... In with the good, out with the bad. In with the good, out with the bad. So you get this harvest idea. So here's the problem we don't understand is that the harvest, he said, let them grow together until harvest. So here's what happens. And I'm going to try to go through this pretty quickly here. I'd like to go through it in depth. Maybe there'll be a part two in January, but we're just going to skim through it for a moment right now. And that is you come through and what's the thing that happens in harvest, right? You come through with a sharp sickle. Things begin to be cut. Things begin to be up. Just hecticness begins to arrive in your life. And in that process, there are some obvious things. Look, we all right now, there's some obvious things that we can see. You know, this is a tear in our life. It's obvious. You don't, need, you don't need some kind of Bible lesson to tell you that there's some tears in your life. You know what they are. So the initial thing that would happen is, is that when they would cut through this with a sickle and all the stuff would be laid on the ground, there were some obvious things that were like, that's a tear, that's a tear. And they would do that and they would take that immediately and they would burn it and they would bundle up the rest. But the problem was they would bundle up the rest. That wasn't it. It wasn't like, okay, let's go do this. That was the first part of the process because the next part of the process came in when they would gather all this together and you've heard, some of you have heard this before, but they would take it to what was called a threshing floor. A threshing floor was a usually a hard place that was that was built and, and they would lay it all, lay all this wheat, all this stuff down on the ground and, and they would do several things to it depending on what tools they had. They, they, would, they would take a threshing instrument, which would, could be uh, many different things, whatever, whatever they had handy, and they would literally just beat on it, 
beat on it, beat on it, beat on it. Or, or they would take the ox and they would put an ox and the ox would walk around and the ox would step on all of this stuff. Or, or they would do other things of that nature, similar things with the purpose that if they didn't have anything, they'd use their feet. If they didn't have anything else, they would just do their feet and they would walk around and they would do this. And the purpose of it is they were trying to break up the stuff that was on the floor. We celebrate the harvest. Woo! It's time for harvest. But we don't know that the harvest is really the beginning of the process. And so they would do this. And it's not fun because you know what? When you're on the threshing floor, you feel like no matter what's going on in your life, you can't catch a break. Anybody feel that way? You got one problem and the next problem and you're like, man, God, get off me. I can't even catch my breath. I need a break. Guess where you are when that's happening? And guess what? Guess what? Where did God choose to put his altar? I will choose a place. God spoke to David. There's where I want to do it. Where did he put that place? On a threshing floor. Guess what happens when we're supposed to come together a lot? Sometimes it's celebratory and it's happy and we cut. But you know what's supposed to happen when we come together a lot? The word is supposed to be a threshing floor in your life. When you are here today, you're here today saying, I'm laying myself out before you today, God. Let your word be on me today. Not so that I can say, well, well that preacher is really mean. He's telling me stuff that I want to hear, and I don't know what I'm going through, and I need something uplifting today because I'm going through it. That's not what the attitude of somebody that's trying to grow in Jesus Christ. It's saying, God, whatever you do. Now, I get it. Listen, I will say this in awe and respect. There are sometimes men and women of God allow their humanity to get the best of them because every person that stands behind a pulpit is ultimately a human. And I get sometimes people have gone too far and said things and, and done things that have been hurtful. I've done that and I, there's never been my intent, but it happens and it happens. So I get some people have been hurt by what's been said across a pulpit because humanity sometimes gets the best of everybody. But there's a point in time where the Word of God is supposed to do a job. And the Word of God is not built to make you coddle you and make you feel better about where you are. But it's supposed to come and beat on you a little bit. Not to punish you. The Word of God is not meant to be a sword to swing and punish you. But it's meant to beat on you. Why? Because there's some wheat in you that God's trying to get out of you. It's not to punish the bad, Brother Trombley. The threshing is to get the good out of you, not to punish the bad. But to get the good out of you, we got to get the bad out first. We look at threshing as a bad thing. Oh, God is so mad at me. He's beating on me. Oh, what's wrong with me? I'm so bad. God, no, he's saying, I see some good in you. And because I see good in you, I've got to take you through a process to get the good out of you. If I knew that was the case, if I believed there was good in me and God, then I would, I would willingly lay down my life. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus wasn't forced on a cross. He laid down his life on the cross. Why? Because there was good in him, but it required a threshing floor to bring out. Every person in here today, there's good in you. But to get it out of you, there's got to be a threshing. And here's what the threshing does. The threshing just brings havoc in your life. Because what's it doing? It's breaking up the junk in your life. He let the tares grow together and he was cool with it. But now that you're on the threshing floor, it's time to go to work. That's why all of a sudden now you've been running along and you've got some sin in your life, you know, you're dealing with and you've got some character stuff and it seems like God is chill with it. He's not doing anything about it. And next thing you know, out of nowhere, wham! What? What? It's not because God's upset with you. He was okay while you were in the field. But to take you from the field to the bakery, he's got to bring you on the threshing floor. He's okay with it growing together. 
until the harvest. It brings them to the threshing floor. And guess what happens, right? So the threshing floor starts to break up. The, 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 the stalks gets the rest of the stalks away. And then it really begins to separate the head where all the stuff is and really begins to deal with the chaff. The chaff is the covering of the wheat corn, the kernel. And it really starts to break that off. Oh, that's awesome. Man, this is great. Okay, God. This is one of those things where you ever feel like you got through one stage and you thought that was it, but there was another one coming? And so you're like, oh, you know, finally, you're not getting beat up anymore. But then here's what happens. They take all this stuff that was left on the threshing floor and they would take it and they would put it on a hill. And the reason it had to go on a hill was because the, the hill was where the wind blew the most. Oh, be careful that you wish to live on the mountaintop. (laughs) I want to get on the mountaintop with you. Wait a minute. (laughs) You don't know what happens on the mountaintop. The mountaintop's usually where there's the most wind. Because guess what's coming when you're on the mountaintop? They take a winnowing fork. A winnowing fork's like maybe what we would look like an upside down fan rake. And they would put, they would scoop it. And they would literally do this. (laughs) And all of a sudden, everything just went into chaos. Chaos. Why? Because the thing that weighed the most was the wheat kernel. And when you threw it up in the air, the wind could take all the light stuff that was of no value away so that the stuff had value would fall down. When your life seems in chaos, that's God trying to let you know, I need to get some stuff out because when it all settles, the stuff that remains is the stuff I want to be in there. I've watched people go through trials and, man, their world goes into complete chaos. But when they come out of it, their value and who they see and what they see and what they believe. How many times does, you know, you go through the death of somebody and and you haven't told anybody you love them forever, but you lose a loved one. You just call somebody. He just want to let you know, hey, I love you. Why? Because when all that stuff gets thrown up in the air, the things of value. And some of you, you, you got off the threshing floor, but now you're just, your life's in chaos. Whew everything. You thought you were on the mountaintop. Woo, we're on the mountaintop. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, I'm on the mountaintop and your whole world is being thrown. And here's the other part that happens, right? There's another stage that goes, then they take all of this, all of this stuff. So guess what happens, right? So we, we, we come together and the threshing floor of the word Sunday morning can be at the threshing floor of the word. Also, Sunday morning can be a place where with the word throws our life. Then what happens? All that comes down and we gather it all together. This is really cool. Watch this. God showed me this this morning standing back in my office slash bathroom in the back with the kitchen. <laughs> fancy, fancy place to find God. I was back in that corner over there just taking a moment and God started showing me all this. Is that for Antioch West? The, the, the Sunday morning becomes that threshing floor. It's a place where we're throwing all this stuff together. It's, it's all this stuff up in evil. Then it all falls down and we, we collect it all. And guess what happens? This is super cool. I never saw this before. They would take all the what would look like wheat and they would gather it together and they would, some, they would take it back to their house and they would put it on this sifting table, whatever they had, maybe sometimes on the ground, depending on what tools are available. And the wife, the mother dimension of the house, would gather the kids around because there were some tares that looked really close to wheat and the only way to get rid of them was to go and pick them out by hand. And it took a mother dimension of patience to sit on that floor with her kids and pick out, there's a, there's, a, there's a tear, there's a tear, there's a tear, there's a tear, there's a tear. Guess what happens when we're supposed to go to small group? The mother dimension of the church steps in and we can go and put all the stuff that God's doing on Sunday morning on the sifting table and God can start to say, okay, let's pick some stuff out that we need to get out so we can get to the fullness of the wheat that's there. Because here's what happens. One of the most common tares is the darnel. D-A-R-N-E-L. It's the most troubling of all the tares. 
And unfortunately, not all the time could you tell through this process, not all the time did you get this taken care of. And here's the problem, right? The church world has gotten to the point, what's the big deal? Let's all, let's just deal with it together. Here's what happens. When the darnel is ground into flour and baked into bread and consumed while hot, the eater may experience symptoms similar to drunkenness, including trembling, following by the inability to walk, hindered speech, and sometimes vomiting. In addition, the darnel is commonly infected by a fungus, which can cause hallucinations when consumed in small doses, but in large doses can do heavy damage to the central nervous system. The Greeks and the Romans believed that this fungus could even lead to blindness when consumed in large quantities. You watch somebody that's walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden they start seeing things, hallucinations. They start seeing things blind. They start walking waverly. They start wavering in their walk with God. That's somebody that's been eating tares thinking it's bread. That's somebody that's escaped the process that God's put them in. And they still, it looks like bread, it smells like bread, but you don't know the effect of it until you eat it. And I watch people, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years of being submitted to the process that every year there's a cycle in your life where God lets stuff grow and then he brings a harvest. He lets stuff grow and he brings a harvest. But then we get tired. We get weary. We don't want to do it anymore. We start questioning. Is it necessary? Do we have to be like this? Oh, it's not a big deal. And guess what happens? We start letting a few little tears get through the process and then we bake it like we've always done because we've always done it this way. And then we start eating it. It looks like bread. It smells like bread. It even sometimes tastes like bread because there's enough wheat in there to mask the taste. But all of a sudden now we start experiencing things we've never experienced before. There's a drunkenness. There's a blindness. There's a weariness. There's a stumbling to our walk. We're not as confident in our walk with God anymore. We're not as sure or footed as we used to be. Our faith wavers. Doubt starts to creep in. All this stuff has to happen. And then we start hallucinating. What does that mean? It means you start seeing stuff that's not real. You start questioning things. You start saying, wait a minute, I see this over there. And everyone's going, no, it's not over there. But we can't convince you because you're hallucinating. And eventually, if consumed, you become spiritually blind. Blind. You stop with the ability to be able to see anymore. You become spiritually blind. And then when that happens, you see people just slowly just die away. Why? Because they stop being submitted to the process. They stop letting that they they became cool with the tares and the wheats growing together, but they didn't submit themselves to the process God takes us through to separate that stuff. He's cool with it in the field, but he's not cool with it in the bakehouse. There's a balance. Now the problem is, can I just be frank with you? I've been honest with you very much to this point. I'm not going to stop now. The problem is, and in the Pentecostal world, we want to go in the field and just start whacking everything. That looks like a tear. Wing! That looks like a tear. Wing! Oh, you don't look right, so you're a tear. Wing! And all of a sudden now, instead of taking care of the tears, we destroyed wheat. We have. And that's been, I've, I've watched it happen. I've experienced it. I've gone all over the country. I've seen it. This is not a critique. It's a just an observation of experience. People just like to start whacking away. Because yeah, are there tears? Sure. But let them grow together. That's why in Antioch West, we're going to have some bad apples and it's okay. So if you're going to judge us today by some tears, then you don't know the word of God because we're going to love everybody the same. We are tear. But there is a process where God finally says, hey, I'm cool with it growing in the field, but if you're going to go from the field to the bakehouse, you're going to have to go through my process. And if you bypass that process, you're going to end up getting darnel instead of wheat. 
So can we get one thing? Can we get one thing straight? God's cool with the wheat and the tares in your life in the field. But every year there's coming a harvest where God's going to say, okay, it's time for us to just reset everything. It's going to be. How many of you have ever been through a year where you didn't have a trial? It's amazing. I, was, I said it last night and the bishop kind of came behind me and corrected me. I said, 2019 has been a rough year. He's like, he came behind me, those of you who weren't there, and he said, well, when you live for God, you'll realize there's no such thing as a bad year. Because God, I'm like, I got it. Yes, sir. I understand. Yes. Appreciate that. It's true. You know, really, you know, 20, just from a human standpoint, not what the bishop said, just talking. 2019 has been rough, man. Whew, 2019 has kicked my hiney. 2018 was great. I mean, 2018, it was great. 2019, it was tough. Boom. And so, all right, Brother Fowler, you're looking at me. I can feel the kindred spirit. 2019 kicked my hiney. But then I got to stopping and wait a minute. 2018 was great, but there are some tough spots in 2018. 2017 was, ooh, 2017 had some, ooh, 2016, 2015, ooh, 2014, 2013, 20, wait a minute. There's not a year that's gone by where there wasn't some bad spots. But you know what? The greater the harvest, the more work that has to be done to prepare it. There were some years that I didn't seem to have a lot going, but I got to be honest, it wasn't such a great harvest. So when I'm believing, say what you want, 2020. I don't know how for you, you're going to just, just let me have my own faith. Don't shoot me down. 2020 is going to be spectacular. Because you know why? I've been on the threshing floor for a while. I've been in the winnowing hill for a while. I've been beaten up for a while, but that's because there's some wheat in me that God says, now it's time to harvest and make some bread out of it. And he said, bread, this is my body. When he said, bread, this is my body, he said, there is some things in this process that you're going to go through. Why? Not because I'm punishing you, because I'm promoting you. So, this, as we conclude 2019, get your head out of the sand, put a smile on your face, lift up your head because you're not being punished. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't just left you there. You're not going through what you're going through for nothing. But there's a process God's taking you through because there is some wheat in you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that and make him encourage. Say, there's some wheat in you. There's some wheat in you. There's wheat in you. Have, let's just do a quick survey real quick. I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Now, I won't ask anybody just for the sake of your own safety and your protection so you can get out of here in one piece. I won't ask anybody who's not going through anything to raise their hand because we'll just all have to pray through over you. So if you're not going through anything, just don't raise your hand. We won't count. So we won't know who raised their hand. How many of you right now feel like you just, there's just life is beating on you, the threshing floor? I mean, not everybody can raise their hand, but you just feel like you're just being pounded on, right? God, okay, there's some. How many of you feel like you just feel like your life, it, the best way to describe your life is just your life's just in chaos. It's just everything seems to be up, up in the air. Anybody? Got, got anybody got that? You just feel like whew, nothing's settled. Nothing seems to be. You can't, you're not sure about anything right now. I, look, look, I'm just going to just, 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 I, I, we, we went, went through a stage where we're just getting beat on and I mean, just hammer, hammer, hammer. And then it's like, whoo, got through that. Guess what? Right now, my wife and I, nothing's settled. We don't know where we're going to live. We don't know what we're doing. Have no clue if you ask us right now, where are you going to live? No idea. Well, we, people ask it. Oh, you move? Yeah, where are you moving to? No idea. Where? No idea. What area? No idea. What are you looking for? No idea. Our poor, wonderful real estate agent, uh, Jen Nielsen's mom, she is so sweet and so awesome. And she asks us all the time, so where are you guys, where can I help you look? We have no idea. 
start from the eastern shore to western Maryland, from Pennsylvania to Virginia, there's your swath. Anywhere in there. That's literally, it's all being up. So, and like, and then how many of you feel like right now, they're just, it's just, there's this process going where you're just, God's just sort of pain. It's just, he's just picking things out. Just little stuff. Like he's just, you just feel like maybe the best way to say it, you feel like you're being picked on or just things. Anybody feel that way? Yeah, there's a few. Yes. Thank you for your honesty, sister. Right? What does that mean? That means there's a harvest. Happen in Antioch West. There's a harvest, and that there's different stages of this. There's a different places of this. Why? Because God is going to produce something in this body. But if we ever bypass the process, we won't see what we're trying to see because there's a process. Would you stand today? But you know what's amazing? There's a point in time when the harvest is so big that all these processes take place on a simultaneous conveyor belt because you have some that are being treaded upon, some that are being winnowed, some that are being sifted, all at the same time out of the same harvest because the harvest is so abundant. So the time you feel like you got all that stuff in your life is not the time to get depressed. It's actually time to celebrate because that means something Big is brewing in your spirit. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. The Lord, Lord, you said that we are transformed by the way we think. That by changing the way we think, we can be transformed to be able to prove what is that good and that perfect and acceptable will of God. Lord, I... I you. This was not from me. You gave it to me. I've delivered it to the best of my ability today because I believe, Lord, with all my heart and spirit that you're trying to help someone see what you're doing in their life so that instead of resisting it, we can accept it. Instead of fighting you, we can lay down our life daily and say, God, let your will be done. Because, God, I know there's wheat in all of us. But I pray today, God, that you would give us the grace, the grace to withstand the process. For those that are on the threshing floor, God, give us the grace to withstand the beating. Those of us on the winnowing hill, God, give us the grace to be able to withstand our lives in chaos. Those of us that are being sifted, Give us the patience to withstand the process. And those of us that have a field full of wheat and tares, give us the grace to be able to accept the process when you're ready to harvest what's in us. I speak all these things today. Lord, I thank you for every mountain and valley of 2019. I thank you for every trial and test of 2019. I thank you for every good day and every bad day of 2019. And God, in advance for 2020, God, I thank you for the good days and bad days of 2020. Not that I believe you for a perfect year, but God, I believe you for a year of process as you continue to shape and make us into what you've called us to be. I pray all this, speak all this in the name of Jesus. Can we just lift our hands one more time and let's just give God thanks today for his grace in our life. Father, we thank you. We love you today. Praise God. Praise God.